All right, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I am here with my good buddy, Jerry Cox from Mountain House Stables up in the land of uh, ice and snow in Montana, Corvallis, Montana, to be exact. And um, anyways, Jerry, my friend, uh, that that picture you just sent me of your the view from your office, I'm pretty jealous. Yeah, it's pretty up here. Yeah. I, minus, I, uh, minus 15 this morning, by the way. <laughs> no, crystal, crystal clear minus 15 yeah i mean i'm i'm complaining here because it's like five degrees yeah but uh man negative 15 you're tough you're tough but it's a good day to be inside and record a podcast huh yeah yeah so but i hey jerry i really appreciate you doing this for me man um i've had you on my list for quite a while to to get a hold of and i in the winter time when i'm home i like to uh, you know, kind of batch these podcasts a little bit together and, and, and record a few of them so we can put them out through the year. So well, thanks, it's, thanks. It's, nice, it's nice to know you finally got down to the bottom of the list where I am. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's taking a while. But, uh, no, I do appreciate you. So I met Jerry. Um, we was just trying to figure it out. I think it was 16, 2016 or something like that, 2017. And uh, we did a clinic uh, at his place, uh, and it, back then it was up in Colville, Washington. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, uh, I was really impressed with, with Jerry when I met him, just a dang good guy. Something that I respect about you, Jerry is, and, and this is hard to come by. So it, it's really amazing, but you are, uh, a good student of, of this stuff. You are a student of horsemanship and you, you know, you want to get better. You want to be better. And that is impressive. Um, and we're going to talk about that today. You know, yeah. you're just a great student, a great example. When I met you, uh, you know, when I met Jerry, he was just so nice, inviting, welcoming to his ranch there in Colville. And, um, you know, first, uh, at first, Jerry, I got to admit, I judged your place a little bit when I pulled up because there's these obstacles everywhere. And of course, just like any typical obstacle course, it doesn't necessarily look like an obstacle course right off the bat, right? When you're when you're driving past, there's just stuff everywhere. So you kind of look out there. I'm like, look at all this stuff he's got scattered. I'm like, oh wait a minute, hey, those are obstacles. That's not just junk out there. There's obstacles. So that was that was pretty fun hanging out at your place and being able to goof around on the obstacles and all that and and all that. So that was that was pretty neat. But uh, that's where I met Jerry. And I don't know what you thought, Jerry, about all these mules coming to your place. What was your what was your impression of the deal? Uh, I enjoyed it. And the, my friend Chris Miller, uh, she actually set you up to come there, which uh, I really appreciate her reaching out and uh, doing that. But uh, I think we had 14 mules there that weekend. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I hadn't been around mules a lot. Uh, I've probably broke only three or four mules in my life. I broke hundreds of horses, but uh, I just had always shied away from the mules because I kind of, you know, mule people are kind of, they're kind of a different breed of cat and the mule, he's a different breed of horse. And um, I never felt that I was qualified to take one on. Uh, the few that I did start and break, I mean, I had good success with them. And I reached out to some of my mule friends, you know, Ray Woodside and uh, some of those guys. I reached out to them and asked for some advice and they'd give me little pointers and stuff. But uh, uh, I just never messed with them much because uh, I, I, I never felt I was qualified. But uh, but that weekend was fun. And I'll tell you a little story about that weekend. 
I, I was dinking around with a little two-year-old filly horse. And at the end of that weekend, I was leading her past where uh, all those mules were in those pens. And she tried to bray like a mule. And there were some people <laughs> walking there kind of along with me. And she uh, she saw those mules and she, <laughs> God, we cracked up. And she was trying to talk like a mule. But uh, I, I don't know if it was an accident or not, but uh, it sure made us all look and laugh. Yeah, yeah, the mules are, are a bad influence on that horse there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. So well, that's that's how we met, you know, and I really enjoyed getting to visit with you and hang out and all that. And and uh, that was good. And But since then, you have now, you've moved down to Corvallis, Montana, mm -hmm. and you got stuff going there. I, uh, I, I, we, we had talked last year, I was supposed to come up and do a clinic and we got things going, but I had uh, too big of a crowd. We didn't want to swamp you at that yeah. place. We ended up going down to into town there. And, and that was a good uh, suggestion going to that arena down there. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, but we didn't get a chance to catch up. It ended up being, well, you know how it is Yeah. You know, for being, being the, a clinician, you know, we got there doing the clinic and, you know, I'd love to come visit and everything, but you just get swamped down with questions and, and people and, and everything, which is good, but it was hard I to crack yeah. away and go see you. I think we had an event that weekend ourselves too. So yeah. it's kind of tough to hook up. But yeah, we'll, we'll get together someday. Yeah, that'd be good. You know, I want to come back to Corvallis. That was one of my, I mean, it was probably the best clinic I've ever had in Montana. And uh, as far as, as far as, you know, participation and, and people wanting to attend the most interest for sure and everything so we'll uh we'll come back corvallis was good i like that valley it's such a beautiful valley you live in oh, man it's beautiful here i never miss a day we've been here four and a half years now and I've, I've never missed a day i didn't tell my wife how much i love it here and the people are nice the the countryside is nice there's all kinds of horse people here just it's just good people it's a cute little town and uh yeah we we really like it here it's clean heck yeah well, good for you. And you, you've done a lot of work on your place. You built you, uh, built you a little indoor arena there and yeah. place to ride right now. I'm sure you've been using that the last few weeks and months. huh? Well, you know, something, I'm kind of a, uh, fair weather cowboy at my age and, uh, at minus 15, I'm not too anxious to go out there and even pet a horse. <laughs> you just go throw the feed and get back in before you're right, right man when it starts to warm up though we'll start going back out there probably about february we'll start getting back into it yeah yeah you, you ever seen the movie monty walsh well yeah the original oh, I, yeah. I, I refuse to watch the tom Selleck version because uh there's no way you could uh, outdo or do better than the Lee Marvin version. Have you ever seen the old one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I refuse to watch the new one. Uh, <laughs> the old one I've watched many times. Yeah, well, you 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 would like the new one. It's good. It's good too. I've seen them both. But you know, winter time like this, it always just reminds me when when they're you know uh, staying in the line shack all winter long and freezing their butt off and trying to nurse calves and and all that stuff, you know and uh, yeah, that's about how we feel all winter, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> well, hey, buddy, uh, I want to talk about you. This podcast is about you. Um, like I said, I really respect your horsemanship. You know something that's cool about you, Jerry, is you you are uh, you are friends 
and or acquaintances to so many really great horsemen. You know, you you've met a lot of really incredible horsemen through the through the years, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit because you've had a lot of influence, um, you know, across the board. But but I want to kind of go way back and and find out what makes Jerry Jerry, um, because like I said, you you are a great example of being a student of horsemanship. Um, it, it never, you know, I see your social media posts, whatever, and and you're such a humble guy and and willing to you know, to, to ask questions and, and, and spark conversations where a lot of people in, in our profession, um, kind of get clammed up a little bit and stay in our own little bubble. And and I'm guilty of that too, a lot, you know, um, but you're a great example of, of opening your mind to horsemanship. And I want to know, I want to know, I want to know why I want to figure out what makes Jerry tick here. So why don't you start way back in the beginning? Tell us, uh, uh, you know, your journey, into horsemanship, uh, maybe growing up a little bit, what things were like, um, and kind of go from there. Does that sound good? Sure. Sure. Uh, well, I, I guess my horsemanship journey started as a child. Uh, we didn't really live on a ranch as kids, but my grandpa owned one and he, he was a real horseman. Uh, he was the real deal. Uh, he did all of his uh, field work and uh, fed cattle in the winter uh, with a team of horses. And then uh, I think in the 50s, he finally bought a used tractor. And I remember as a little kid uh, going up and uh, and in, even in the winter, you know, loading up a giant bobsled with a big old team of horses and going up in the hills and kicking hay off of the back, you know, to feed cattle. I mean, they were in belly deep snow up there. And uh, he was just a tough, tough guy and, and a real horseman. Uh, he, he loved horses. And uh, my uncles, uh, they were, I'm the product of teenage parents. Uh, uh, and so my, my uncles were all teenagers. And then in their early 20s, by the time I became a little kid and, uh, they were horse breakers and they used to bring them in by the truckload and they'd rope them and choke them and snub them down to a post and flog them with saddle blankets and uh, strap a saddle on them and uh, jam a bit in their mouth and tie their head around and let them buck and thrash. And then they'd step up on them and shit, they'd, excuse my language, they'd buck them around a little bit and uh, then lope them around and tell you to open the gate and then up, up over the hill they'd go. And it was wild, man. I mean, it was Western. Uh, it was a little rough at times, uh, but God dang, they got the job done. It was amazing uh, what the things they did. And sometimes they'd go to ground driving them or something. And, and us kids, you know, we'd be sitting on the fence watching, you know, as kids do, you know, around the ranch. And they'd reach up and snatch one of us kids off the fence and put us up in the saddle and you know, we'd be the first one on that Colt's back. We'd be hanging on. And sometimes they'd get a little frosty. And uh, these guys would be ground driving these horses around. And then uh, sometimes they'd scare us pretty good. <laughs> but but uh, we, we all wanted to be cowboys and horsemen when we grew up. And you ever heard of the Omex suicide race? Yeah, yeah. In yes. <laughs> that's where I was born in Omax. And, uh, and so that's you, where... you grew up watching that stuff. Wow. Well, my, my uncle Kenny, uh, Kenny Smith, uh, he was a hell of a horseman. He broke thousands of horses, but uh, he won that race a few times. And 
as little kids, I mean, we go there with shit. We all wanted to grow up being suicide racers. And right. you know, Jerry, the ultimate, yeah, why don't you explain to the, the audience listening what, what the suicide race entails well, and all the parts of it? Well, guys, you can just look that up on YouTube, Suicide Race OMAK, O-M-A-K. And it's an annual horse race they do at their rodeo there. And these guys, they line up 25 horses side by side. And they set off a starting gun and they sprint for about 200 feet. And then they go over an edge and down this 200 foot hill that is so steep, you can hardly stand up on it. And they race to the bottom of that hill. And when they get to the bottom, they dive into a river, swim that river, come out of the river, and then they sprint for about 300 yards to a finish line. And that's the race. And I mean, it is wild. It is Western. And sometimes horses take a tumble and so do men. And uh, it's it's pretty, pretty <laughs> it's, wild. It's but, wild. It is wild to watch. I've, I've never seen anything live, you know, I've, but I've looked it up. I've seen videos of it. And uh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, no, for, for competing or for watching really no no it's, oh, it's pretty rough but uh but as a kid th th that's how of course I, you know i was just i was hooked on i think you're kind of born with your blood you know i don't know if it's nature over nurture or not but you know it was kind of in my blood i always wanted to be a horseman and a, a cowboy or whatever and uh my grandpa smith when i was about seven uh, it was my first uh, uh, experience of watching what I call horse whispering. And uh, he had about six or eight broodmares that he just left up on the hill. And he bred them every year, and they had foals every year. And I was up at the place one weekend. I guess I was about seven. And he brought those broodmares down off the hill, and he had about a 50-foot round pin there. And the, the mares and their foals all came into the round pen. And well, they were probably all about six, seven months old. And he had me on the gate. And he never said a word, but just with a little kind of a buggy whip, he started sorting uh, the mares and the foals off until he had one mare and one foal left. And then I just sat on the fence and watched, and he never said a word. And he took that whip, and he... And this shit, she had big old uh, platter feet on her like this, you know. Uh, they didn't do anything with these mares except breed them. And he uh, he started maneuvering that mare until she went and found a corner and stood quiet. And then he left her be there, and then he started sorting that foal off away from her from the mother. And this foal never been around humans, just raised up up on the hill there. And she stood in that corner. And every time that foal would come over to her, she'd pin her ears and kind of kick at it and say, get away from me, man. I found a quiet place. Go find your own. And then he, he got that foal separated. And pretty soon that, that foal was staring right at him with its ears pricked up just rigid like this. And uh, he would he would raise that whip and that foal would stop. He would drop that whip and it'd take steps to him. He'd raise it. She'd stop. He'd drop it. She'd step. Pretty soon that foal came up and touched her chest. I get goosebumps every time I tell the story. That foal touched her chest to his. And then he reached over with his offhand and stroked her on the outside of that neck. And she stood there quiet and rigid, just wanted to be right there. And he just turned and walked away and he was done. But it, it was the most fascinating thing I ever saw. It never left my mind uh, all those years. But uh, 
it was fascinating to me anyways, the point I'm trying to make. And uh, I guess those little stories and watching that kind of stuff as a kid kind of gets into your soul. And that's where my horsemanship journey began. And so I remember when we lived in town and going to kindergarten for show and tell, I dragged a pony saddle to school and uh, showed everybody uh, the parts and pieces of a saddle. So, so it, it was kind of in me. Heck yeah. So, uh, so, so you said that was your, did you say that was your uncle? Well, uh, that was my grandpa Smith. Uh, who oh, your did grandpa. That. that was your grandpa. Who, who that did the that horse and then my, my uncle Kenny Smith and then my other uncle Gene Smith. Uh, they were both great horsemen and uh, broke, broke thousands of horses. Uh, that's all they did all their whole lives, you know, what? break horses. Now where, uh, where's this taking place at? Is this right there in, in Old Washington? Mac, Washington. Old yeah. Mac, Old Washington. Mac, Washington. So, uh, you know, that's really interesting because I'm trying to do the, I'm trying to do the math on the years, what that would be. I suppose that would be in, in late fifties there, early sixties that we're talking here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and this is, this is before kind of the, the height and the, the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but you know, the, the days of Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt, they come a little bit later than that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I guess what I'm getting at Jerry is, where where are, is your grandpa learning these things? Did you ever have a chance to talk to him about some of his his upbringings or his mentors, or where well, did he pick this stuff up? Uh, you know, we all tend to forget that horsemanship isn't something new, and that in the eighteen hundreds everybody had to break and train horses, or everybody had to ride them anyway, or have them pull their buggy around, and. My grandpa was raised old school. In fact, when his family moved out there to Washington, and when he was a little kid, they came in a covered wagon. And wow. that had to have been in the early 1900s. And they came in a wagon. And they weren't wealthy people. You know, they were, they were scraping along. And my grandpa and his brother, uh, Judd, they used to cut and split cow hides and they did all that break. They made all their own halters and uh, uh, bridles and all that with the, with the button knots and all that. You know what I'm talking about? They did all that leather and rawhide braiding and uh, not because they thought it'd be something cool and fancy to do, but because if they wanted a bridle, they had to make one. And yeah. it, it, so horsemanship was something they, had to know and some people are just naturally better with horses my grandpa was one of those guys and i've heard stories about him where people have a team of horses that maybe couldn't do something for a rancher trying to pull a stump or something and they'd call my grandpa and he'd go down there and he would talk to those horses a little bit and then he'd ask them just right man they pulled that stump for him but they wouldn't pull the stump for the other guy. See, and he, he just, he, he, he just had that innate knowledge or natural ability to, to communicate to a horse. He was good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're right. That uh, we do forget that horsemanship ain't new. Um, but it seems like it took a, a backseat for a little while. I, you know, I, I love learning, uh, history kind of of the vaquero and the buckaroo and you know your grandpa yourself and your grandpa growing up right there 
it'd be the same thing as where I grew up. It's called the Buckaroo Fringe. <laughs> so they call yeah. the Buckaroo Fringe basically the outer edges of the Great Basin, right? And and OMAC Washington would be right in there, just just kind of like how I'm in Utah, right on the edge of that of that Great Basin business, you know. And um, it's a blessing to kind of grow up in this area because out there in the middle of the Great Basin, you know, it's one of those areas that the Industrial Revolution just didn't quite get its hands on, and it still really hasn't, you know. Um, a lot of these places, you know, these, these things have been passed down from generation to generation. And so, so it's kind of neat that your, your grandpa got a little piece of that, but also that, uh, in those days, you know, they just get to be around horses. That's just such a big part of life. Uh, my great grandfather who would be about the same age, it sounds like as your, your grandfather. He was uh, born in 1910. So, yep. Yep. So my great grandfather was born in 1917. And, and he talked when he was a child, it, it was a, it was part of their chores every day, especially here in Utah, the lack of water, you know, you didn't have running water at your house or at the barn or even in the pastures. So every day, my great grandfather, he would have to go and, and uh, catch the horses and they'd go water them down at the Creek or whatever, or at the well and, and then lead them back and, and just by, just by being involved in that, I mean, it just changes your horsemanship. It really does. It affects it. Where these days, you and I don't have to deal with that necessarily. We just go turn the hose on for a minute, and and then we do something else while we're watering. <laughs> you know, we turn the hose on. We usually forget we're watering, right? And the water runs over. Oh. And uh, but we, you know, think of these guys. You know, like my grandpa, great grandpa, taking the horses down to drink. I mean, that's just part of you know how much they get to learn just by being present and that's yeah. pretty neat so well that's great so so your you know your grandpa and your uncles have had quite a bit of an influence on you and and you you told the story here about you just getting hooked by this uh little little weaning session that's going on um from from there where did it go oh that's we would spend our summers up at the ranch, but we, we uh, as kids, you know, uh, they'd just about park us up at the ranch for the summertime. And I had a couple of cousins. They were all about my age. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of ran wild up there, really. You know, the, it's, uh, we'd, we'd watch my uncles break horses, and then they generally had a couple of broke horses for the kids to ride. And, hell, we'd jump on those horses and just ride the hair off of him you know uh, he had 1200 acres of uh, up there and some of it was up in the hills and you know we go up and pretend we were suicide racing and all that other stuff and uh uh but we thought we were real cowboys i mean we'd rope a calf you know from the ground and then we were just little kids and uh, uh, we'd put a belly rope on them we'd take turns riding them and uh one time i remember my uncles showed up and they dropped off a truckload of horses, like ten, and they and they were they were wild, rangy, right? And they put them in that big fifty foot round pen, and and uh, they told us boys, now you guys stay away from those horses. Well, yeah, okay. Well, then they went off to get a truckload of horses, and uh, so we looked at each other, and God, there's a Larry out there. We might as well try to rope one of them, right? So we got in that round pen, and we're swinging these ropes. We finally caught one. And God, he went to bellering and bawling and pulling on us. So we 
purposefully jump down on our bellies and let this horse drag us around on our belly because that's what you see in the movies, right? <laughs> then we would trade. Then the other cousin would come and he'd drag that kid around for a little while. And uh, so we were having fun. Well, then we got, God, how are we going to get that rope off for those guys to come back? And then pretty soon here they came and they came in the truck and they had another load of horses. And for miles away, they could see what it looked like a tornado of dust just going like this, where we've been chasing those horses around that pit. And when they pulled up there, those horses were all lathered up and here's a rope hanging off of the one's neck and we're filthy, dirty and dusty. God, they were met. And, you know, again, they were in their early twenties. And I remember Gene, he grabbed a buggy whip and he started chasing us and he stung our asses with a buggy whip for doing that. And, uh, then they reminded us uh, when Gene was a kid. Uh, the, my uncle Gene and my uncle Kenny were from two different families, but they were both my uncles. But uh, my uncle Gene reminded us that when he was a kid, his four-year-old brother was standing in a barn door, and a couple of horses spooked and ran out that barn door and, and plowed him down and killed him, and. Uh, so, so we learned about the dangers of horses, uh, kind of the hard way sometimes too. And you, we heard the stories and we saw the things that were going on. So those little stories, you know, accidents, accident stories stick in your head and you make try to protect yourself, you know, from them uh, as part of passing on the wisdom, you know, from one horseman to another. And, that's why when I try to tell people safety things, uh, I'm not gonna say it irritates me, but you see some people roll their eyes and you think, you're gonna learn the hard lesson one day. You know, Here you had an opportunity to take that to heart, what I was just trying to tell you, just trying to share to you. I'm not trying to tell you this is the way to do things, but you know, I see somebody roll their eyes at me more than more than about once, I just about don't, don't bother trying to share or exchange horsemanship with them anymore because it's obvious they already know it all and uh, they don't they don't need to hear anything from me. But anyway, it's a dangerous game we play and uh, it can be a lot of fun, but uh, they can sure be dangerous, as you know. You know, just a thought, Jerry, and I want, I want to know what you think about this, but, you know, you talked about your uncles growing up, your grandpa, you talked about these, these wild guys doing this uh, – you know, doing the suicide race, but you talked about them, you know, basically just bucking these horses out pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, we're talking about safety and danger. That's a pretty intense, uh, lifestyle of horsemanship that these fellas had, you know, but, uh, in my experience, uh, cause I grew up the same way, Jerry, that's how, that's how we did a lot of things with my dad growing up. It was pretty wild and it's amazing that I'm still alive, you know, but, uh, not a lot of them fellows got hurt, you know, they didn't get banged up too much. And I think, you know, in my opinion, where it comes down to is a lot of it is, is some of this grit, you know, that these fellows had, I mean, just a lot of try and, and you see, you see remnants of this, you know, particularly, you know, like, you know, and, and maybe some, some of this rodeo sports, you know, and rough stock riding, you see some remnants of this grit, you know, but, I see so many folks just like you're talking about. You try to give them some safety tips and some help and, and they get hurt just poking down the dang trail. You know, they, there's so many accidents out there 
just just dealing with these animals uh yeah yeah you could talk about these fellas you know all this rough style of horsemanship back then and and how little they really got banged up but but these days these folks um it, it seems they lack something there's something lacking in a lot of uh the average person uh dealing with horses that gets them hurt a lot what what do you what do you think when i talk about something like that jerry well, I guess I guess we just call it the uh, the the evolution of horsemanship and the uh, evolution of mankind. How's that? Uh, they were a little tougher back then than than yeah. we are now. And uh, my I remember my uncle Kenny said, "Oh hell, I figure you just step up down there and just act like you know what they're doing, and they'll believe you." So that's how he was. He was shit, I'll just crawl up there and just act like I know what I'm doing, and that horse will believe me. Yeah, yeah. you crawl up there and act like I'm not sure if I'm going to survive this. He'll believe me on that too, you know. And I know for myself. I, I was talking to you on the phone the other day. I got bucked off last summer, and yeah, uh, you know, I'm 68 years old. I can't be taking very many buck offs like I took last summer. But the 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 hardest buck off I've I've ever had. And I've only been bucked off a few times. And uh, but and not that I'm any kind of bronc rider, but uh, uh, I got hurt as bad as I've ever been hurt. I'll say that it, it it broke the rib off at my sternum and broke my collarbone and and it broke a tooth off. And uh, I was I was hurt, but. Uh, just as I was stepping up there, it was a windy day, and and he was a young colt, two year old, and I'd had about ninety five rides on him, I think, and and he'd been doing great, and I told my wife, I saw his head kind of come up, and I told my wife, I said, I don't know if today's a good day to get on this colt. She goes, Oh yeah, he'll be okay, and man, I swung my leg over there, and as soon as my butt hit the seat, man, he. He lit off like a Roman candle, man. It was, it, I was on for a ride and got about three jumps into it. My hat came off and landed right in front of him. And as soon as it hit the ground, man, he pitched to the right and just slingshotted me just chest first right into the hard ground, man. And I was hurt. No, it was, it was not good, but <clears throat> I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, I guess. Uh, I, I convinced myself I was probably going to get bucked off, and when I stepped up there, he believed me. <laughs> Maybe if I just stepped up there and oh, hell, just act like I know what I'm doing, he'd have been fine. But I stepped up there with that little bit of that nervous energy, and and I, I think you read it. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I want to dive a little deeper on this, Jerry, with you. You're somebody that I can talk to about these things. We can dive a little deeper, but you know, I remember when we was ro when I was rodeoing. Um, uh, my coach, you know, in college, he, he'd tell some of the guys, if you think you're going to get bucked off, you probably, you probably will. Yeah. You probably will. Like that's, you know, and, and uh, mindset is such a big part of that. I mean, you got, you got bucked off. You got bucked off hard. That that's the real deal. There's, there's a lot of times that a, a meal or a horse just farts and the person jumps off of them and they get more hurt yeah. jumping off than they, if they would have stayed on, you know, yeah. um, but you got you got you got throttled. Um, but but let's talk about this. Uh, so that thought that you had, you said, I don't know if I should get up on him. Uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about listening to that? Those feelings in in you. 
Well, you, yeah, your your inner voice, uh, a guy needs to listen to it. You know, if you think, well, maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't reach clear down there to that uh, horse's hind foot there. Uh, he just kind of acts like, well, you better listen to that because, man, if you, well, I'll just do it anyway. Well, hell, maybe he'll kick you right in the side of the head, you know, and then it's over. But on that grit you were talking about, do you, you know who Cliff Shot is? Uh, no, sir. I don't think uh, so. I do. you should look him up. This kid's he's he's damn handy. Uh, Cliff Shaw Jr. But uh, I was talking to him uh, about this, these things. And he said, man, he said, you just got to grit down and hang on and just tell yourself there is no way I am coming off this horse. And on that horse that bucked me off, I was probably about six or eight jumps into this thing. And I mean, he had his head right between his front legs and just barking and bellering. He was bucking. He wasn't messing around. And my feet came out of the stirrups and I started flopping around up there and I got scared. And, and I told myself, you better get off, man. I had my night latch. I was hanging on. I had a rein in the other hand and I, and I'd grabbed a hold of some mane. I was riding, but I started getting scared. And I said, I better get off. And when I decided it was time to get off, just when that hat hit the ground, it all came at once, you know, instantly. And hitting the ground is where you get hurt. You know, you can bounce around up there for quite a while, and you may end up with a, you know, maybe a pulled groin or a saddle horn in your thigh or or something and get a little bit bruised. But uh, you hit the ground, man, that's, that's where you get hurt. So... You got to grit down and just say, I, I am not coming off of this horse. I refuse to come off this horse. And having that mindset and then following through with it are two different things. But uh, sometimes, I mean, if it's just that bad, you're coming off anyway, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's been – yeah, you just – Sometimes you get bucked off and you're, you know, but you can tell the difference between a buck off or a, you know, uh, or a, I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping out of this mess, you know, Yeah, yeah. you can tell the differences in, in that. And sometimes the mix of two really don't go good, which sounds kind of like what you had, like I'm done and then splat. But yeah, that, that well, grit is like I said, the few times I've ever been bucked off, I, I play it back in my head, you know, and well, in almost all things horse, we should be always playing things back on our head. What could I have done a little different on this? What could I have done a little bit different on that? But, but on almost every one of those few times I ever came off a horse, I could play it back in my head and just about tell myself a couple more jumps and he was done. You yeah. know, you made the decision. You got scared and, and came off. You You got yourself off. Uh, he was bucking, but but in my head, playing it back, if I had gritted it out, just say that I'm not coming off of this horse. I think a couple more jumps, and he might have been thinking, I don't think he's coming off. Maybe I'll just shut this thing down. You know, so but that's hard. hard. That's, that's hard. hard. You know, hindsight. You yep. know, that's that's tough. But you know, talking about folks back in the day, you know, talking about these these people in history that we're discussing, like your you know, your grandfather and these uncles and these other people, uh, it was a different day then, you know, and, and there's still some remnants of, of things. I tell you what, I ride way better. If I have something blow up on me, I promise I ride way better 
if there's a bunch of other cowboys there watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if uh-huh. I'm out there and we got to go gather cows today and I get on something fresh and maybe I didn't do enough to warm this mule of this horse up and they're a little froggy, I, I promise yeah. I ride better when they're all watching me than, uh, yeah. than otherwise, because, you know, in my mind, and this is, and this is just a, this is a human nature. This is a, you know, a, a pride thing for sure is, you know, I am not falling off in front of these guys. I will never hear the end of it. And then the other thing too is, a lot of these fellas, it's just part of the day. Um, you know, uh, I, I've worked on a, with a couple of crews and some different ranches and some things where, you know, their horsemanship may not be the same, you know, as far as the, all their other standards. And a lot of these guys, it's just another day for them to go for a little bronc ride before breakfast. And, and they just do it. And it's nothing to even, they don't even talk about it. You know, whereas uh, the general public and most of the people listen to my podcast, if they get bucked off, it is it is a big deal. It is a traumatic deal. It's never it's not going to be forgotten. You know what I mean? Where a lot of these a lot of these guys, these cowboys, I mean, it's just another day. So well, I was talking to this cowboy here just not too long ago. We we're talking about you know horses and whatever, and he said that he knows these brothers. He said they are tough. He said, hell, they'll put a saddle on one and just step up on him. And they don't give a hoot if he goes to bucking or not. And he said, he has seen this guy, this one brother, crawl up on one. And if it goes to bucking, he'll 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 uh, shake out a loop and he'll rope a cow and dally off. And uh, on those horses, bucking. They hear, try bucking with that thing strapped to you. And he said, it'll shut him right down. Do they really <laughs> yeah, yeah, a thousand yeah. pound weight. Why not? <laughs> Can you believe that? I mean, that a guy would have the wherewithal to say, "Oh hell, let him fuck here." I'll just rope that, you know, eight hundred pound cow standing there. It takes it takes <laughs> a lot of it takes a lot of repetition to get to that point. Uh-huh. I remember when I when I was rodeoing, Jerry, we would, you know, we'd be out there. I'd be out there on a practice horse. And did you ever know Louis Phils? No. Uh, great. I mean, he was a five-time world champion. Great, great man. His if you watch rodeo these days, Casey Field is his son. Um, oh, okay. Anyhow, so he was my coach and a great mentor for both. You were a saddlebone rider, right? Yeah, yeah. For yeah. both bronc riding and for horsemanship, he he really influenced me. But it got to the point he could ride next to me, and and he he'd talk to me, and I could hear him, and and I talk I talk to him in the middle of the ride. You know, it, it could you could slow it down that much. You could slow all that down, um, and I've tried to bring that over to my to my horsemanship now. Uh, I'm not talking about you know riding a bronc on these you know these deals. I'm talking about just slowing your horsemanship down, seeing piece by piece. And yeah, I learned how to feel leads riding bucking horses, <coughs> not saddle horses. Uh, you feel those horses change leads, and you know broncs change leads yeah. so hard. You know you you yeah. feel it, and it shifts in those bronc saddles the way those swells are shifts so hard you can feel lead changes very very clearly and you had to adjust for that and you know i I learned a lot um doing that kind of stuff and and but uh but yeah that yeah having the wherewithal to get a loop i can't i can't rope good enough when things are just walking along there let alone something wanting to buck me off so that's a that's pretty uh pretty intense there well on that talking your way through it uh, you know, we used to film a lot of our cult starting and stuff uh, for our customers, you know, so that they could see we're really riding their horse. Uh, and 
and I also kind of like to do it so I could uh, kind of sh show people and um, maybe this isn't the way to do things, but here's how I do it. Maybe here's some ideas for you. But last winter I was on one of my colts. And I don't know, he only had maybe four or five rides on him. And I was indoors with him and it was a little bit of a windy day and he was a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a nervous kind of a cold. And I got it on film when I was, and I just gotten on him and uh, he just took a few strides. Well, he heard something rattle and he kind of went to bucking with me just a little bit. And, you know, and I just got kind of just head to the side a little bit. And, and I said, now, if they go start to act up like this, so they just make sure you stay upright and just stay in the middle of them. Don't get yourself excited and get bent. I'm just kind of talking through this whole thing. It was just horse cutting out across there. So then he'll, he'll settle down. Then he settled down. Then I just kind of rode him out and said, then you just kind of changed your hairs. But I, I, it kind of struck me funny, you know, that I, uh, that I kept my goal, uh, number one, but uh, uh I had a lot of people comment. I can't believe you just stayed so calm, you know, when you're in the middle of it. But I was playing it over in my head, kind of telling myself, stay upright, don't hunker over, stay in the middle, you know. But well, anyway. you know, it, it's a it's it's a skill. It's a skill. It's not something that you just get to have. I yeah. don't think that that comes from a lot of repetition, a lot of time. Um you know, I, I was listening to a class that uh, Steve Peters was putting on the other day, and and he said something that struck me. You know, um, he says experts, um, you know, really experienced people and experts in their field, um, whatever it might be, tend to have quiet minds, and uh, and novices seem to have busy minds. You know, and and that's that's a big piece of the whole equation. You know, you. It, when you're working with these animals, if you can just quiet everything down in your mind and just just be there, it it sure makes a difference in in what you can get done. Well, I tell everybody I, I don't make any claim to be an expert at anything, and uh, uh, I've, I've had the great pleasure and fun of being able to ride a lot of horses and uh, ride with a lot of great horsemen, you know, and. Uh, most of my experience is starting colts and uh, I don't I never was kind of a, a show guy I, I've been to a few horse shows and you know and I've won a couple of buckles with reining and uh, I've done a little rodeo rope and then I've done some other things like that but I'm sure no expert at anything and uh, I just had a lot of fun experiences I'll just say that well, experiences what makes up the education, you know, a lot of times. So, um, yeah. let's kind of get back to your story, a little Jerry. Um, oh. So, growing up there, and and uh, so so, do you remember the first horse you ever started on your own, or was it kind of like me, where you just kind of had a mix of things all the way up? I can't really remember the very first one I started, except for Little Pony. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, well. Uh... In my teenage years, uh, we moved away from that ranch country. And uh, so I wasn't really around horses uh, at, at all or much through my teenage years. And uh, I started racing motorcycles. And uh, so I was, I was motocrossing in those days. And uh, then uh, I moved to Alaska when I was about 19 and got a job on the pipeline up there. And I did that ice road trucker thing for several years. And 
then I met an old guy that had horses and he was a neighbor of mine. And he and I became good friends and he had a handful of horses and I was probably about 25, I guess, or six. And he had a guy, uh, hired a guy to, uh, from Idaho to come up and spent about six weeks at his place starting like four or five horses for him. And after work, man, every day I'd go down there. And in Alaska in the summertime, the sun doesn't go down till midnight uh, or at all. And I'd tell that guy, I said, God, just save a few for me, you know, when I get, get off work. And I'd, I'd get off work and I'd just race down there. And he was a handy handy guy and he showed me a lot of stuff and I watched him and, and uh, he let me put the first rides on a few after I watched what he was doing and then after that uh, I got a colt of my own I rode those after he left I rode those horses for that guy and he, he and I rode a lot together that old boy and then he sold some of those horses and uh, and then we continued to ride and then well, a couple of years later, I, I got a young horse and started it from scratch. Wanted to see what it would turn into, and it, it turned into a real nice horse. And then uh, I traded it for another coming two-year-old that uh, uh, had never been ridden or saddled and started him. And he turned out to be one of the best horses I ever owned, by the way. An old App uh, Appaloosa named Sam. We called him Sam alone. And... Uh, Sam turned into one of the hell he was kind of a famous horse there in Alaska uh, in the day he he won we did some horse showing with him hell he won everything uh, he won the trail competitions he won the reigning competitions he won the uh, stock horse uh, I team roped with him I calf roped with him uh, I taught him how to pull a sleigh uh, he won endurance races there was just nothing that horse couldn't do, really. And I taught him a couple of little tricks and stuff, you know, but uh, uh, he lived to be about 26 years old. And uh, he, he was one of my one of my great accomplishments for uh, for horses. You know, he, he made me look good, I should say. He, he was kind of easy, too, uh, because he was just so smart. He just learned everything I tried to teach him, even though I wasn't uh, a great teacher at the time. He kind of figured it out and made me look good. He was a lot of fun. Those, those kind of great teachers, and those are great to start, you know, just just building a experience off of and building education off of for sure. Sounds like a good horse. Um, yeah. You know, Jerry, something that I just thought was thinking of there uh, a little bit, you know, you just kind of skipped over your, you said you did some motocross through teenage years, which is nuts. And then uh, you said you, uh, you did some ice road trucking and I just want to go back a little bit because, you know, we was just talking a moment ago about how, you know, if you can, if you can, well, remember we talked about what, what Dr. Peter said, you know, uh, experts seem to have quiet minds. Okay. Doing both of those things that, that I think those two things probably prepared you a heck of a lot for horsemanship because, both those things can be incredibly dangerous and you gotta be, you gotta be dang sure present in, in those situations. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think those two things, I mean, just knowing you and knowing the way you are and about you, uh, it is clear that 
you know, you, even in some, some tough times, you know, when you're working this and you talked about that cult, you know, you talk through in the video and everything, but, uh, I think things like that prepared you for those moments, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty incredible. So. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I was motocross champion of Alaska, uh, one, one year. And then, uh, Oh, I did pretty good the next year. And then, when I was ice road trucking, uh, I did that for 13 years and I did hundreds of uh, trips up and down that Alaska hall road. And, uh, it's one of the most notorious roads in the world at the, at the time. And, uh, it was, it was touch and go. Sometimes you'd get yourself into some very precarious circumstances and you had to have your wits about you. You couldn't be cocky about it. You had to, you had to have your wits about you. And, you know, for me, lucky me, I, I was young. I was 19 when I first started driving. And I'd never driven one of those big trucks before. And they started me out on a small one. And, and, and uh, I remember uh, I drove a fuel truck. And one of my first jobs on the pipeline, I had to go over Attigan Pass and back uh, sometimes twice a day. And it's a four and a half mile trip up the side of that mountain. And uh, it's it's steep. And, and when I went over there, try to put chains on a truck, first time I'd ever tried to put chains on a truck. The, the truck they gave me, the chains were just watered up on the floor and I pulled them out. Well, hell, somebody had already used them and broken half the cross links. And I was trying to figure out how to get these chains on the duels. And oh, I fought that and fought that forever. And finally got them on and over the hill and back. And I went straight to the shop and they gave me a brand new set of chains. And man, I went out and I practiced and, until I was good at it. And there, uh, it reached a point where not to be cocky. I told myself I'd have put myself up against anybody in the world for getting a set of chains on a truck. Uh, I, I knew I could get them on probably faster than anybody on earth. I was good at it. And I wanted to be good at it because there were times, man, you had to jump out of your truck and get them on in a hurry. And if you ever found yourself on a hill and you'd spun out, well, you'd want to be able to get out and get those chains on in a hurry. And that only happened to me one time. And it was when I let someone else go up the hill twice in front of me and they called back on the radio and said, it's good to go. And I, when I got up there, I started spinning. Instead of putting my chains on at the bottom, which I always had done on this one particular hill. And, and I spun out. And, and I slid backwards in a big semi. And uh, I got lucky. As that truck started going backwards, uh, I, it spun. And I set all the brakes. And I was sitting there for a second to feel what was going to happen. I felt it start to go back. And I thought, well, here it goes, man. And they start picking up speed. They'll, they'll just run like a runaway locomotive. I stepped out on the running board of that truck and I spun the wheel and I stepped out on the road and I was like skiing right alongside that truck as it's sliding right alongside me and it folded itself right off into the ditch there. And just yes. slick as a whistle. And uh, then I got out, put the chains on in the ditch and 
some other trucker, he, he chained himself up all the way around and got up in front of me and we stretched out some chain and he pulled me up out of that ditch. But, but that was, that was uh, the, the one accident I ever had running that all road when I let somebody else, and we talked about that inner voice. My inner voice said, I don't care if they went without chains, put those chains on Jerry. And I thought, like, oh shit, I'll probably make it. You know, I didn't make it. So anyway, always listen to your inner voice. Well, well, don't don't tell Mrs. Cox, but it sounds like that last wreck you had last year is very similar. <laughs> you're always, yeah. You're thinking, yeah. you're thinking I better not oh just get on, Jerry. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Well, that's pretty intense, but I think that I think that did a heck of a job preparing you for your horsemanship. So let's uh let's let's talk about kind of your the mountain house stable days. So how did how did Mountain House Stables come to be? And it started in Alaska, right? That's where you yeah. began. Uh, well, I I had uh, horses in Alaska uh, from the time I was in my mid twenties forward, and I lived in a I lived in a little mountain cabin up there. And uh, when I bought that cabin, it was just a one room shack, and, uh, and then I added a couple of little rooms to it. But I lived in that little cabin for twenty four years. And uh, I had some old codger come to visit me one time and he said, God, this is sure a cute little mountain house you got here. Cause it was, it was up on the side of a mountain and man, you could just see out for a million miles from that place. It was cuter now. And he said, man, this is a cute little mountain house you got. And I just kind of stuck in my house and I said something about mountain house stables. I ought to call the place mountain house stable. Well, hell it stuck. And, and then from there on, I was just mountain house stables. Mountain House Stables, that's how it became, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so up there was you, did you start uh, training horses up there for the public? Well, that's what I told you, that uh, that neighbor guy, uh, he had that fella come and I learned a lot from him. And, right. uh, and then I trained a couple of horses on my own after that. And then, then I had a couple of people ask me if I'd come help them start a couple of horses. And I went down and started a couple. And then, uh, Oh, people would ask me, would you come ride my horse? So I'd come over there and I'd ride their horse and just try some stuff. And, and, um, and then I can't remember what year it was, but it was quite some time later, uh, Les Vogt came to Alaska. And Les Vogt's one of the world's greatest horsemen, you know. And, uh, and I signed up and rode with him and spent a three-day weekend riding with the great Les Vogt. And I was riding a two-year-old that I just bought and uh, probably had about a dozen rides on him and took him out. And I was riding him in the Lesbo Rainy Clinic. And he showed me a lot of really cool stuff. And and uh, and I got to know him and I, of course, really respected him and admired him. But uh, that weekend, they were filming. Uh, they were filming the clinic right there in Alaska. And they used a bunch of those clips of me and Les riding together and put them in uh, Les Vogt's uh, Cowboy U uh, videos. And I always tell people, yeah, I'm in the Cowboy. I've got some clips of myself in the Cowboy U videos. And most of them were, this is how you're not supposed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I learned a lot of cool little things from Les. And it was kind of the beginning of, me having the, uh, 
I guess the the desire to want to go ride with more and more uh, different people. And I went and rode with some instructors there in Alaska after that uh, that were pretty handy. And they showed me a couple of fun things and I've tried to incorporate those. And then Al Dunning came to Alaska one year and I went and rode with him. And um, then there were a couple other horsemen came up there and I went and rode with them. Then when we moved down to uh, Allville in I think about 2004 or five, uh, I started hosting clinicians to come to our place. And it had quite a long string of them too, you know, over about the 14, 15 years we were there, I God, I had a bunch of them come through there. Good ones, a bunch of good ones. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, something that, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Jerry, that I really wanted to get at was, you know, what what makes you continue to seek knowledge? Um, you know, so, so you remember back to that, with Les Volk coming up there and you signed up for that clinic, I guess that's the first official, uh, you know, quote clinic you, you rode in. Yeah. That, right. You know, you, you had mentors before that you've had teachers before that, um, you know, you've talked about them. Uh, but what, what made you say, you know what, I want to go pay some money and go, go learn from, from this guy. And, and how did that bleed into, you know, you wanting to host all these other people. I mean, including me coming up to your place. How'd that begin in your mind there? Well, uh, I always tell people, uh, you may think you know a little bit about horses. Then you go ride with a guy like Les Vogt or Al Dunning or Ty Evans and, uh, and they'll prove you're right. You know, a little bit, <laughs> they know a lot, you know, so. Say, yeah, you might think you know a little bit about horses. You go ride with one of these guys, and they'll prove you're right every time. You know a little bit. You yeah, know? amen to that, Jerry. You know yeah. that's that's so absolute. That that's kind of my my motive was, and you know, selfish selfishly too. Uh, you know, I've I've had seven road to the horse champions at my place, and uh, they say I'm the only guy on earth that's had that many. And, uh, and and most of them multiple times, but uh, I wasn't going to say it. Um, selfishly, you you become a clinic host. You know you get to ride with these guys for free. You oh, you yeah. only have to buy yourself a million dollar uh, facility to host them in, but you get to ride for free. <laughs> and the the beauty too. You know, of having those guys come around and spend a two and three day weekends with you is you get to ride and learn horsemanship. But then in the evening, you're breaking bread with them. Now you're exchanging family stories and life stories and sitting around, maybe watching a little news together and talking politics with them. And uh, you're hearing their life stories. They're hearing your now suddenly they aren't just some guy you rode with at a clinic. They're your friend. And all those guys that come, they lived in my house with me, you know, for days on end. And uh, we became friends and it's a great feeling to, to go to some of these big events and here will be Chris Cox, you know, he's no relation, but he sees me coming and he perks up. Hey, he, he calls me Mr. Cox. He's like, Mr. Cox. And uh, so we, we talk and, uh, 
he's he kind of follows along what I'm doing. He's hey, I see you're up there in Montana putting on some fun stuff, you know. I, I'd like to come see you sometime or whatever. And so th these guys become your friends. And lucky me, you know, I got a kind of a long list of those guys that I can call any one of them on the phone. They'll take my call. And, you know, maybe I'll start out telling them a dirty joke or something. And uh, we talk about something funny. And, but then, hey, I got a, this issue with this horse. What do you think? And, and they'll give me ideas what to do. And uh, I've got some of these guys will call me and, uh, hey, Jerry, I'm working with this horse. What do you think? I go, gee, what are you doing calling me, you know, of all people? But uh, it, it makes you feel good, you know, when you got someone of that caliber calling you and uh, asking for your suggestions or what do you think on a deal like this? So, yeah, lucky me. I've met some really good horsemen and I'm, I'm proud of it. And, uh honored i'm honored by it yeah that's that's really great i remember talking about that with you a little when i came up to your place there and and uh you know de definitely jealous of you of all the, the great horsemen you've been around you know i got a question on that jerry and uh you know you you've heard the saying you you become who you hang out with right yeah that's what you become is who you hang out with and who you associate with the type of people you're around that's what you're going to be um and um so as you you you've met so many great horsemen you just mentioned a, a lot of them that are very respected uh what if you could pinpoint one thing or maybe that might be too hard but pinpoint one thing one trait one uh one virtue one attribute one one thing a about these people that is that is in common that makes them successful with a horse um what what would that be do you got any idea i, I know i sprung i didn't prep you for that question jerry but uh, well it uh but i i i have an idea and you kind of said it is uh you said the expert has the quiet mind and almost all those guys uh you watch you watch that caliber of horsemen around those horses. They're quiet, and their their cues are small. Their uh, animation is small. Their um, uh, anxiety is low, and they have a calm demeanor about them. And all of them are that way. And I don't care how excited the horse is. They maintain that calm demeanor uh, in an effort to have the horse seek their energy level. And, you know, I got to ride with uh, Jim Anderson. Uh, he rode to the horse champion and a uh, uh, great, great instructor. One of the, one of the, one of my favorite all time uh, instructors, uh, come to my place many times and he says i want the horse to seek the sanctuary of me and that made sense to me you know those little sayings that these guys throw at you you know that made sense to me i want my horse to seek the sanctuary of me and just recently i saw a film with tom dorrance and of course, I never met any, uh, him or Ray Hunt or any of those guys, but uh, I've, I've ridden with a lot of uh, my mentors that did. 
Uh, they all rode with him and knew them well. But uh, you know, in his old gravelly old voice, he said, I see people come in and their horses all wound up and they're all excited. And uh, he said, uh, I can take that horse and in a matter of moments, that horse will be calm. And so these people have no idea how little it takes to signal a horse. You, know, uh, you don't have to use big animated cues. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of my little uh, clips and stuff, but oh, yeah. I teach a horse to go left or right. I see guys will stick their arm clear out to the left and point clear out over there. And then they start getting all animated and swinging. And personally, what I try to do is I just try to move my hand over like this, just, just inches. And I want that horse to detect that I'm asking you to go left. Man, if I see their head start to swing left, I quit on him right there. If he's thinking left, I quit. And then maybe I just recue and say, no, let's keep going left there. But I don't, I try not to stick my arm clear out because I'm trying to get him to respond to the tiniest cue I can give him. And, uh, I always tell people, you know, a horse's perception is multiplied by 60. So me just moving my hand to the left a couple of inches, it already looks like I'm sticking my arm out to the left, clear all the way. To him, to him, it's it's that's a big signal. And he should and he should see it. But being quiet, I guess, and calm. And I, I have a little exercise card I give to people when they come to ride with me. At the bottom it says, remain calm, confident. And consider it to your horse, even if you have to fake it. So uh, I've had a couple of them, you know, I went to a clinic and a guy brought in this horse that was shit, pinning its ears and charging and biting, bit him on the arm, drew blood. And I said, well, let me have him for a second. And, you know, when I took the horse and, and I was trying to be calm, confident and considerate, trying to get him to respond to me. And, uh, I said, I'm, I'm being calm, confident, and considerate, and I'm faking it. <laughs> I thought he was going to come at me a couple of times, but I was having to fake it. I said, I'm faking now, confident here, you know. But, uh, hey, I yeah, like I that. I like that. Calm, confident, and considerate. So, even if you have to fake it, even if you even if you have to fake it, um, yeah. that last word though, uh, considerate. Yeah. Um, why don't you explain that a little bit? Uh, considerate of the horse, yeah. where, where they're coming from, considerate of, yeah. of where they're at. Why don't you talk about that a little, Jerry? Yeah, well, you got to be considerate of your horse. You know, if, if he's scared, well, uh, you got to you got to be considerate. I'm not going to try to scare him more. Uh, I'm going to be considerate of him and under, try to think on uh, his behalf that I can see you're scared. Let me try to help you through that. Uh, let me try to help you find the sanctuary of me. I mean, let me try to help you find some inner peace here so that you don't, you don't have to be scared. Convincing. You, you can teach yourself. You don't have to be scared in this circumstance or this situation that's being shown to you. Uh, you don't have to overreact to, to this. You need to, why don't you teach yourself to understand that all this guy's doing is showing you some form of stimulus. Maybe it's your training flag or something. And if I just show a horse a training flag and he, and he bolts, 
just because I've shown you this flags it well God buddy you're kind of overreacting to that aren't you why don't you teach yourself that when I show you that flag that you should just maybe get curious about it and stand there and, and think about what's happening instead of you checking out and bolting and running that is, that didn't help in your situation uh, wouldn't you rather stand here and have your life be quiet so yeah just be considerate of your horse you know if he's scared well maybe you're doing too much you know if you're scaring him well you're definitely doing too much but if he's scared why don't you try to help him to not be scared if that oh, makes any sense oh yeah i like it jerry you know oh, yeah. a, a word that i use a lot to, with my students is empathy mm -hmm. you know you have empathy towards something that means you know you it's it's like your word consider it you're, you're considering where they're coming from your you know empathy even if you haven't necessarily experienced it yourself you you're feeling for them you mm -hmm. know and i think that's pretty important as a horseman um you know that and and you know what you said if they're scared don't try to scare them more you know i wish we need to like uh make that louder you know because yeah. so many folks they think they got to add you know, I'll throw another log on the fire when the fire is blazing there. And, um, you know, being considerate like that is saying, all right, well, I see that that bothers you. I noticed that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and paying attention to that stuff. That's good. That's good stuff, Jerry. That really is. So it, maybe this would be something fun to hear from you. In your, in your journey with horsemanship here, I mean, you've worked with a lot of horses in your life. Is there any horse that stands out to you? Um, you know, you you shared about your Appaloosa, you know, that you start, you know, uh, in Alaska there. Um, was there any any other horses you want to talk about or acknowledge that maybe maybe you had to show some consideration to, you know? Is, is there anything that stands out you want to share? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Might not even be yours, maybe somebody else's, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just kind of think on that maybe for a minute. I had a, I had another great horse. Uh, I called him Jake, and uh, he was a great horse. I, I got him as a coming three year old. I found him in a cow pasture, and uh, he had a halter on his head, and he was out there eating on round bales with a bunch of cows. And <clears throat> I picked him up for two hundred dollars, and took him home. And damn near had to cut the halter off. I had a web halter to starting to dig into his nose he carried a scar there his whole life a uh, good looking horse and uh I, I got him going and uh broke him out and oh i was roping on him and doing my cowboy challenge stuff with him and uh did extreme cowboy racing with him and did some team roping and uh he was just a, a great great horse did some liberty work and uh uh he was always a great demo horse and, and I think I even used him for lessons, but uh, he, he was a great horse. Uh, one of my all time greats. And, uh, and then I killed him. Uh, uh, doing him a favor. He had a kind of a muddy spot in his pen and I dumped a load of gravel in there and spread it out and compacted it down good. And, uh, I was throwing hay in there and letting him eat that hay off the ground. And God dang, I went down one morning to throw some hay to him and he was pacing back and forth and whinnying to me. 
I said, what the heck is wrong with you? And I thought maybe there was some deer or some elk on the hill or something. He just wound up about, I didn't see anything. He, he didn't look at his hay at all. And I went and fed the rest of the horses and um, started to head up to the house. I looked down there and he was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He was all wound up and, and he could see me and he was calling to me. And I went down there and said, what the heck is going on with you? And he was all lathered up and pawing the ground. And he laid down and he jumped up and said, Jesus, calling him. And I went to open the gate. And man, he just blew out of the gate and he was just tearing around the barnyard. And uh, he was in trouble. And I caught him, threw him in the trailer, called the vet, said, I'm coming. And geez, he was just loaded with sand. He had been I'd thrown that damned hay right in on top of that gravel. And he was just, and I'm not talking fine sand. He was consuming horse sand and uh, they pumped him full of oil and uh, did a, you know all the typical stuff said man you need to take him to a bigger place off to Spokane we went to a, uh, McKinley and Peters top top vets and they did all they could for him and uh, they called me about 10 o'clock that night and said he, he's not doing good as it would put him out of his misery and down he went, you know, so hard lesson learned. And uh, we, we got to take care of our horses and, uh, you know, I'll still feed a horse on the ground out here, but now I've got this wooden platform, it's eight by eight feet and it's covered with a big rubber mat. <laughs> and I go out there and I use the leaf blower to broom and I can't keep it swept clean, man. So, I let them eat off the ground, but they have to eat off of that rubber mat. <laughs> yeah, that, so, that's yeah. tough. That's tough. That was a tough one, man. To lose a horse like that, who, geez, he just did it all. And mm -hmm. I, I got some videotapes of him, you know, bridleless uh, lead changes, sliding stops, spinning arounds. He just did it all. You know, he was an incredible animal. But anyway, hard lesson learned. Yeah, that is tough, man. That's tough. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, it's funny. Cause you could have, I mean, I've seen so many animals at, at places, oh. at places that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. there are obstacles, there are dangerous obstacles and things in their way to, to get hurt every which way. And then you got a fellow like you that just feeds off the ground a time or two, <laughs> and then, you know, oh, but, uh, so you said that one, that horse, you did your extreme cowboy racing and, and all your cowboy challenge and stuff on, huh? Yeah, yeah, he was he was great. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because you know I mentioned it at your place up there in Colville. I don't know what you've done at your new place, but in Colville there, man, you had you had all kinds of obstacles. I remember pulling up there and just seeing everything. You know, like I said, I first time I pulled up, I thought it was just a bunch of junk out there. Then I looked a little closer, I thought, dang, he's got a course set up. So you you've host you've hosted all kinds of obstacle deals, and you know. uh, if I was to think of somebody that's really good at, um, uh, you know, getting a horse to accept obstacles and to try things, you would be at the top of my list. Oh, shoot. Um, you know, for, for working through stuff like that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, your, uh, all, all your obstacle stuff. What, 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 what gets you about those obstacles, Jerry? Why do you like the obstacles so much? Well, I think it's uh, you. You want your horse to trust you, 
and you wanted to do things without being forced. You wanted to learn how to build confidence that he can do anything you're asking of him. It's my opinion on that anyway. And so when I take a horse to an obstacle, uh, it, it's, it's rare that I ride a horse up to an obstacle and then try to get him to do it. Uh, I'll, I'll take a horse to an obstacle and generally step off and try to teach him from the ground, get his confidence up. And when he's, when he's proficient at what I'm trying to teach him, then I'll step up on him and ride him through it. And then, and he'll do it effortlessly because he's, his confidence is up. But you take a horse up there and uh, like try to get him to go through a little water box or something. And you start kicking and stabbing and spurring on him and jerking his head back and forth and spanking him and getting him all jacked up. And then he's failing. Well, every time you've whipped and jerked and spurred on him and he's failed, you've just taught him, hey, the more pressure I put, the more you should quit. And in my opinion on that anyway. So I kind of like to take him up there and let him see and get curious about what I'm trying to show them. And when I see their anxiety is kind of up a little bit, they're looking at it, I'll back them away from it right there from the ground and let them kind of think, bring them back up and reintroduce them and watch them get braver and braver. And after a few times, pretty soon they're just stepping right in it or stepping right on it, whatever it is. And they're just getting braver and braver about it. And, they've never cracked a sweat they've never gotten jacked up they've never had anxiety they come up there and through uh, the process uh, they've taught themselves that hey whatever this guy shows me i guess is okay and pretty soon it doesn't matter what you take them to uh, you can take them to almost anything and they'll go well jerry says it's okay it must be okay because He's asking me to do it, so it must be okay because he's never failed me yet. And that's what I'll tell people, you know, in my little classes, you have to have a little bit of communication before you can have any kind of leadership. You have to have a little bit of leadership before they will begin to respect. You have to have a little bit of respect before they begin to trust. And you get those four things started, and you have the beginnings of a partnership where you only need 51% ownership. You're in it together, but you call all the shots. But you take him and start failing him and saying, hey, I'm going to force you to go do this thing. And then he scrambles and uh, scrapes himself or hurts himself or it scares him somehow. Well, you failed. Well, and then he starts thinking, this guy didn't make good decisions. Uh, you know, and this partnership, man, I'm, I'm not sure I want much of it. And I don't want him being my leader. So your, your job is, in my opinion, is, is to show them things in such a way that doesn't get them scared, doesn't get them hurt, so that they do respect your judgment and they do trust the things you're trying to show them, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, man. I like it. Yeah. You know, something that you're leaving out, though, that I know you do oh. is, is, is there's a lot that happens before you get to that obstacle. I know you do a oh, lot of work, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and we could get into all into your cult starting, but you do you do so much to prepare them to say yes. And I think that's where a lot of people miss out is they have no preparation and then they come up to an obstacle and it, it's just a it's just a bar fight 
Yeah. You know, it, it, because there is, there's none of those things you said, what'd you say you need the communication and then. Uh, you yeah, know. yeah. You got to have some communication before you can expect any kind of leadership. Yeah. You have to have a little bit of leadership before they will begin to respect a little bit of respect before they begin to trust those four things will lead you to a partnership where you only need 51% ownership. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. But, but is that, that communication you're talking about, you know, yeah. that doesn't happen. Uh, the first time that happens isn't when you're there at that water box or there at that whatever, right. in any obstacle you, you have established that way back in your, in your cult starting and, and through all your horsemanship leading up to that point before you even show them an obstacle. You know, right. I think, I think somebody like you, um, and this is what I work at Jerry and, and I know you do too, but is preparing these horses and these mules to say yes, getting them, you know, and, and these questions we're asking them is questions in our, I mean, just basic questions. Can you, can you turn, can you stop? Can you move this, move that? And, you know, and, and you've, you've got them answering questions. Therefore, when you put these, you add stimulus to the question, then it's yeah. not such a big overwhelming thing. The only thing new, the only thing new in those situations is just the stimulus. All the, all the other, the, the, uh, whatever you want to call it, the mechanics of it, the, right. the, the handle of it. You've already done that, those pieces. Yeah. Can you go left? Can you go right? Can you come forward? Can you back up? Can you soften your head? You know, if you can get those things, you, you pretty much got it. Yeah. Hey, I read a really cool book. Uh, it's called uh, The Started Cult. Yep, I read it. Did you read that? Yeah, it's good. Davis? It, it's a really cool book. And uh, he's a pretty pretty cool dude. But he one line in there that, that caught me. He says, the started cult can go forwards and backwards and stop and turn left and right. The trained horse can go forwards and backwards and stop and turn left and right at any speed. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, we can, we can complicate horsemanship and add so many pieces in it, but it's, it can be as simple as that, you know, that, yeah. That that's really what we're chasing, you know, those those basics of things, you know, and you can dive as deep as you want, but but um well let's dive into some of your cult starting, Jerry. Uh oh, okay. let's talk about your just just kind of share your philosophy on starting cults and and uh and what you like to do there. And I mean, you have a lot of I mean, you got a lot of cult starting experience and and um I feel like cult starting and the obstacles is is something at least my exposure to you, those are the two highlights. When people talk about Jerry Cox, those two things come up is cult starting and obstacles. So let's talk about that cult starting because I think we can just, we just let into it pretty well talking about those, those handles before you get to the obstacle. So what do you do to, what are you doing to prepare them for that? Well, I, I pretty much, uh, I, I start, most every colt in a round pen. I like a 40 foot round pen. Uh, and I generally start every colt with a little bit of liberty work. Uh, I want him uh, watching for and responding to uh, tiny little cues. And that, again, on my little, uh, I have a little exercise card. I don't have one here. I'll show it to you. I'll, I'll mail you one though. Yeah. Um, it's 
I have a little exercise card. I have what I call my 12 basic ground skills, my 12 basic saddle skills. So I think every horse should know how to do. But on the theory and philosophy page, uh, it's just a two pager thing, but uh, let's see, there's the power of posture, position, and timing. There's power in it that we have to be so, so aware of our posture, our position, and our timing. And when I'm talking about position, uh, my position on the horse, am I a little bit forward? Am I a little bit back? Am, am I looking at his hind end? Am I looking at his front end? Uh, the position of my whip, is it up? Is it down? Is it pointed down this way? Is it up at this angle? Or is it this angle? And each of those positions of that whip or that flag should mean something very specific to your horse. And I always say, you know, what doesn't seem important to you is critical to your horse. So you're carrying that whip around and you're flipping it all around while you're, and you're not paying attention to it. Every time that whip goes and you're trying to teach your horse to respond a certain way to the, this position of the whip or this position of the whip, and then suddenly you're carrying your whip and you're flipping it around, not paying attention. It goes up to a certain angle. You wonder why your, your horse is coming at you uh, with his hip or wonder why he's moving away. And well, you're, you're cueing him, you don't even know. It. So we got to be hyper aware of our posture, our position, our time. And I, I sh can show people, you know, that I can get a horse to move away from me when I go from what I call my neutral position, neutral posture, to just just kind of swelling my chest up a little bit. I just kind of swell my chest up a little bit and he'll go, shit, I must be moving away from Jerry. He's kind of coming at me kind of aggressively there. Or I call it assertively. Aggression has an anger connotation to it. Assertion, you know, has more of a positive connotation. But if I if I put an assertive, assertive posture to my horse, just kind of swell up on him. I want him to kind of come up on alert. And I think Jerry's trying to tell me something. I should probably be trying to figure out what the response should be to that. And when he responds appropriately, even if it's just a thought of doing the right thing, then I, I just relax myself and say, that's all I wanted out of you was to be thinking about doing what you just did. But I start all my colts in a 40-foot round pin with a little liberty work. I teach them how to go around when I hold the whip at a certain angle. If I drop the whip at a certain angle, I want the hip to go away. If the whip comes up at a different angle, I want him coming forward. I want him moving his shoulders away, and I want him changing directions. And then I'll, I get the halter on him, and I'll teach him to move his hip and move his shoulders and back himself away, and then start desensitizing him with a flag and working with him, and then start saddling him and then teaching him to take a bit, and then pretty soon ground drive them. I don't say I ground drive every colt, but uh, over the years, I probably did ground driving on 60% of them. Some of them, you could just tell they were just so natural that you could just step up on there and just take them for a ride, you know. Mm -hmm. Others, you know, might take a few extra days and make sure that they're not quite so whatever and that they, you can guide and steer them and stop them and back them on, on light lines good stuff jerry and then you're riding and and uh you basically just take that to the saddle right all those things and you're preparing them in the That's saddle right. just kind of copying the same stuff i kind of say everything you do on the ground you should be able to take right up in the saddle with you and yeah. uh 
all that lateral flexion and teaching them to, to, to move left, to move right. And for my ground driving, uh, <clears throat> I use uh, old calf ropes for drive lines. And uh, I cut them off to, I think, 22 or 24 feet. But the thing I like about a calf rope is they've got some weight and some stiffness to them. I got that from my Uncle Kenny. But uh, uh, when you put a little bit of pressure on a rein and that horse goes to respond to it, you can almost push the rope back to him and push the slack to him. Where some of those other kind of those cotton lunge lines and drive lines that people use, that I've, I've felt those a couple of times and I would never use them again. You might, you might put a little left pull on that bit, that horse starts to turn and you go to pull this, let the slack go to him. Well, it doesn't slip and slide. It, it, they just kind of hang there like dead weight. Whereas that calf rope, you can kind of push it, almost push the slack back to him, and give him a full and instant and full release of the, of the drive of the steering line. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff right there. What you just shared that, you know, we, I, I we call it the pull and slack method, you know, yeah. you can use that all the way up. I mean, everything you do, but yeah. a lot of folks miss that pushing the slack back to the, yeah. to the animal. Um, a lot of folks say, well, I, you know, I pulled this way and the horse, the horse give and the horse has to find their own slack. You know, if, if, if they try, I'm pushing. And yeah. That's right. A, that is a key. Right. That that's a key right there. That's yeah. good stuff. If, if I, if, if, when, when you are riding, like you said, when you're riding and I just call it tickle the rain, if I reach down and I start to tickle that left rain and I see his mind think left, man, I let go of him right there. If he's thinking left, I let go of him. Yep. And if I wanted to go left again, I, and I do what I call a ratchet turn. And I say, I want you to think about your lawn sprinkler. So if I ask a horse to, if I want my horse to do a 180 degree turn, I don't pick him up and hold him for 180 degrees. I first, I, I kind of twist my body. I want to feel my body looking left first. And if that doesn't get it, then, then I'll tickle that rein to the left. If he starts to turn, I let go, pick him up, do it again, let go, pick him up, let go. Uh, it's, so it sounds like your lawn sprinkler. Yeah. Like yeah. And pretty soon, man, but I always, always look and, and twist my shoulders and twist my hips a little bit. I wanted to feel that first rain last. So I have a little poem. I'll teach it to you. You ready? Yes, do it. Head, shoulder, pelvis, legs, hands. So I want to look, twist my shoulders, twist my pelvis, add some outside leg. If that doesn't get it, then I'll use, then I'll use my hand. Pretty soon, man, your horse will feel you start looking left, twisting your shoulder. Man, he'll start going on that. And you won't even have to twist your pelvis and add your leg anymore. But head, shoulder, pelvis, legs, then hands. How do you like that? I like it. That's good you stuff. <laughs> hey, I got Hey, we got it. We got it. That's good stuff, Jerry. Well, man, you know, I could uh, I could just sit here all day, Jerry, go on and on with you. <laughs> but I know <laughs> I, I, I'll let you get back to your your life and everything. But before before we uh, we end this this uh, podcast today. Um, I always ask my guests um, if you could give a, a word of advice or piece of advice to somebody else that's going down this this horsemanship road, this mulemanship road, this road of life. What is that? What What is one piece of advice that you'd like to share? You've already given us so many things, Jerry, but if there's something uh, specific. Well, one thing I see a lot 
and I'm kind of on this Facebook thing with coming some of these Mustang groups and stuff like that. We, we've done a bunch of Mustangs over the years too, you know, and uh, in fact, you know, the first 35 Mustangs for the U S border patrol came through our barn. And when they, oh. when they uh, launched that project, noble Mustang uh, project. So that was kind of fun to do on that. But, but uh, here's a piece of advice uh, that I would give. And that would be, uh, I see it all the time. People say, well, I can't catch my horse or I can't do this or I can't do that with my horse or whatever. And people say, well, just take your time. You know, just all the time that it takes, just take your time. And, you know, and that's that's wonderful uh, to say those words. But to me, taking your time, taking too much time is worse than uh, than trying to uh, get something done anyway. Uh, how do I word that? How do I word that in such a way that it makes more sense? But taking too much time is worse than uh, trying to get something done, I guess. It's, it's my opinion, you need to be able to get some form of progress each time you step in with that horse. Every time you step in there taking your taking too much time and that horse evades you, you're you're teaching him to be evasive. And if all I can do is get that horse on the day one, if I step into the pen with him and say he's say he's a waspy Mustang. And if I step into the pen with him, and if all I accomplish that day is to get him to do what I call risk a glance, get him to risk a glance at me. And if I can get him to risk a glance at me, uh, then I might quit on him right there and then leave the pen. And I may come back later and step in that pen with him again and get him to risk a glance and then risk a glance at me again. Now I've planted some seeds because every seed you plant in your horse's head is going to grow. But you have to have some kind of progress each day or you're, or you're not progressing. And then actually going backwards because every time that horse evades you, you've planted the evasion seed in his head and he's just getting better and better at it. So if I can get him to risk a glance, next session, risk two glances, two will turn into four. Four will turn into eight. Pretty soon I got him following me around the pen with it, locking his eye on me. And pretty soon he's doing circles around me with his eyes in. Pretty soon he's following me around like a puppy dog. He's wanting to be where I am, see. So my word of advice is, and uh, one of my uh, friends and mentors, the great Al Dunning, he, he has a say, he says, if you can get 1% of improvement out of your horse each day, your horse will be at 100% in 100 days. And I would say, if, if, if the Al Dunnings of the world are excited and satisfied that they're getting 1% of improvement each day, well, people like us better be uh, ecstatic if we can get a half of a percent or maybe even a quarter, a quarter of a percent of improvement each day. But we have to be getting some form of improvement, some form of progress each day. Or you're, or you're stagnant or you've become stagnant or you're actually going backwards. Because if, if you let your horse evade you and then that's where you quit, well, you've just taught him to be evasive. 
Make sense? Oh, yeah. How's that for advice? That's good stuff, Jerry. Okay, bro. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, a lot of folks will say, Hey, I got a, I got a new mule, got a new horse. I'm going to let it settle in for a little, little while. And I'll ask, well, how did your first interaction go? Well, I haven't had it yet. Oh yes, you have. How, what was your interaction like when you let that, when you, I mean, you had to get it from the trailer to the pen, to the corral to whatever. I mean, that was your first interaction. Oh, I didn't do much. You just let it there. You know, I mean, just like you're saying, Jerry, right yeah. there, that, that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. something was learned for the better yeah. or for the worse, you know, yeah. it may have even been that the, that horse realized, Oh, this human doesn't really pay much of attention to me. Maybe this human isn't much to worry about. I'll just, it's just this thing that feeds us and whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So I, uh, man, that's, that's good stuff, Jerry. And I, I'm, uh, I saw you post that on social media, you know, the, the taking the time, and it's such a hard one. It's such a hard one to really get through to people because there is no, there is no exact measurement of how no. fast something should go. Like I can't tell somebody, Oh, you should, you should be able to do this, this, and this, and this by this, this, and this. Yeah, like, yeah. I can't say that, no, but there, no. like you're saying, there does need to be something. There's an exchange happening between us and our horses and our meals, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Every, every time there's something being learned. So make sure that we're, are exchanging something that is that is valuable and uh, i i like your i like your advice man good stuff well i i'll hear people say uh, i'm just, i'm going at the pace of the horse and and then they say uh they've been at it for six weeks eight weeks three months and uh but he's getting better well, if it's uh, and you haven't caught him yet you know if you're three months into this thing six weeks into this thing and your horse is still evading. He's not getting better. And you are not going at his pace. Well, let me rephrase it. Yeah, you are going at his pace. So who has 51% ownership of the partnership? Is it you or the horse? See, If he's evading and then you're quitting, he's winning every single time. He's just getting better and better at it. But I know you want to sign off. And before you do, Ty, I want to give credit out to some people here. You bet. And it's my great honor and my great privilege. And I'm going to try not to get choked up thinking about this, but uh, I, I've had so many great fun opportunities and I've met so many great, great horsemen. And I'm going to forget a couple of names, but I'm going to throw some names out. You bet. Uh, I want to give thanks and, and appreciation and admiration to these great horsemen and women that have become my friends over the years. I'm going to call out to Les Vogt. Al Dunning, Chris Cox, Greg Cameron, Jim Anderson, Dan James, Nick Dowers, Cole Cameron, Madison Shambaugh, Francesca Carson, Hannah Catalino, my grandpa Smith, Kyle Hockett, Jeff Cook, Craig Moore, J.R. Robles, and health. And the great Ty Evans. <laughs> hey man, that's a that's an incredible list of horsemen and women. And uh, and there are more that I, I their names just aren't coming to me right now. Oh yeah, yeah. There's 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 so many we could, uh, you know. But that's something, Jerry, that I appreciate about you. Like I said multiple times, is your willingness to learn. You're a great example. If we could all be a little bit more like you, 
and uh, and be a true student of the horse and, and of the mule and of these equine creatures uh, it'd be so good but man I, I sure appreciate you doing this for me well brother uh, i appreciate you calling and uh and giving me this opportunity to to chat with you it's uh it's humbling uh, i'm honored and uh frankly i was I'm a little uh, embarrassed and nervous to 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 do it but uh uh, I did one uh, another time with somebody years, about a year or so ago. It was uh, much shorter and uh, not quite as focused as what you just did. And uh, uh, I just really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, uh, I look forward to running into you again someday. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to come back to Corvallis one of these days okay. and uh, do another clinic there. And we'll have to go get something to eat. But, hey, before we uh, check out here, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, how can folks find out more about you and your program and, and everything working? Oh. Tell them about your Facebook and everything else you got going, Jerry. Uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook, uh, Jerry with a G, Jerry Cox, C-O-X. And uh, hell, we're all over YouTube. It's uh, Jerry Cox. Just look up Jerry Cox Horse on YouTube. And I think we probably have about 1,200 videos on there. And, and uh, most of them are uh, uh, with Colts. Uh, and most all of them are with uh, Colts in their first 30 days, uh, some of them day one, day two, 10 rides or whatever obstacles, uh, uh, just look up Jerry Cox horse. All right, sir. Well, friends uh, listening out there, we would, uh, be so grateful to, to, uh, to hear from you. Let us know, um, what you think of this episode. You can leave us reviews on Apple podcasts or just send me an email, tie at tsmules.com. Let me know, what you think of us uh, playing here? It's an honor to listen to Jerry today, share his stories and his thoughts. And until next time, you guys, God bless you. And we'll see you down the road. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years, and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So, hey, be sure to check them out, mealsmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mealsmore.com. <laughs>